This is Global Marxism, and I am Frank Goss. I appreciate your participation and hope this information provides you with food for thought as we consider the confusion we're facing in America today. Now I want to throw something a little bit new at you, something you may not be aware of or may not understand at all. It's a word called Gnosticism. Now, with any philosophical thought, the definition and explanation depend a great deal on who's explaining it. For a practitioner of Gnosticism, it is a tremendous pathway to understanding life. For others, it's a belief system that has been condemned by historians and church fathers for centuries. Origen, Tertullian, Justin Martyr, and Eusebius of Caesarea, they all condemned Gnostic teachers as fully heretical. Now, I'm one of the others. Admittedly, I'm possessed of a Christian worldview and a follower of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. The name is derived from the Greek word gnosis, meaning to know or knowledge. This is not intellectual and it comes through a special revelation. It's a secret knowledge that provides the true key to salvation. Now, historically, uh, Gnosticism often describes God as unknowable and incomprehensible. And this stands in direct conflict with the Christian concept and the teaching of the Bible. God, as the Bible explains, desires a deeply personal relationship with human beings. Typically, Gnosticism separates the inferior God of creation from the superior God of redemption. We cannot actually pin down Gnosticism to a static basis of faith. They believe that it's a secret revelation that frees the divine spark within the man and which allows for a return to the divine realm of reality to which it belongs. So it opens up the spiritual life to man, and without this secret knowledge, you'll never understand it. It is in this manner that Marxism is akin to Gnosticism. The ideas expressed in Marxism lean heavily on Friedrich Hegel, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and they convey to the masses a hope that directs them to the end of their struggle by providing them with a secret knowledge now revealed. The problem is that Marx was a strong admirer of Maximilien Robespierre when it came to application of theory. He was an absolute madman to boot. One thing Marxism is noted for is its desire to hold the nature of man at bay. People are brutes, and typically they're poor, they're nasty in practice, lazy in action, dull in reasoning. Now, with these things in mind, you need to do what you can to suppress that nature within the man, be it through legislated regulations or through brute force. Man must submit to the guidance of the established rules if utopia is to be attained. This is a requirement. Now, questions arise as to who makes the rules. In Christianity, it's understood that the sovereign God establishes the guidelines and if studied, you will see that these rules are given for the benefit of the individual. God elevates the individual and actually provides guidance for understanding how to live in peace among the masses. God aims to be, bring freedom to the individual, not bondage. In Marxism, it's understood that the sovereign ruler, the state, establishes the guidelines, and you will see that these rules are given for the benefit not of the individual, but for the collective the state, the stakeholders. The state's design serves to suppress the individual and to control the masses through regulation and repression through application of physical force if needed. The state aims to bring about a submissive collective 
and to inhibit creativity, liberty, and freedom for the good of the whole. You see, together, everybody achieves more. The state refers to this as equity. Marxism is a modern religion, and it is a terrible religion. It comes in by force, much like Mohammed gained converts by the edge of the sword. Christianity draws the individual through the grace of God, exposed to the mind, while Marxism repels the individual and requires submission. In 1844, Karl Marx was 26 years old when his pen was filled with ink and his ability to write was at its height. During this time, he wrote what has become known as his Paris Papers, or his Economic and Philosophic Manuscripts. This was following his time at the University of Berlin and various other schools because he was expelled from several universities due to his radical revolutionary ideas. In these schools, he totally gave himself to humanistic philosophy and divested himself of all pretense regarding Christianity. It was at these universities that he embraced Kant, Hegel, Schelling, and their arguments against the very existence of God. This was when Karl Marx became a skeptic of the highest order. While we have not mentioned much about his youth, I want to bring attention to the fact that at the age of 17, Marx wrote a devotional commentary on abiding in Christ that was based on the 15th chapter of, of John's Gospel. It's dated August 17, 1835. He was still living in Trier, Germany, attending school there, and was fulfilling the school's requirement for graduation. Keep in mind that this is the writing of a 17-year-old boy. I will quote his closing paragraph. Thus, the union with Christ imparts an inner exaltation, comfort in suffering, calm trust, and a heart full of love for mankind, open to everything noble, everything great, not out of ambition, but for the sake of Christ. Thus, the union with Christ imparts a joyousness which Epicurean, in his frivolous philosophy, and a deep thinker, in his most arcane science, have vainly tried to snatch but which the soul can attain only through its unrestrained and childlike union with Christ and God, which alone makes life more beautiful and exalted. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. John 16, 11. He moved from this attitude, and just a few years later, he wrote, With disdain I will throw my gauntlet full in the face of the world and see the collapse of this pygmy giant. Then I will wonder, godlike and victorious through the ruins of the world, and giving my words an active force, I will feel equal to the Creator. Now, I want to comment on this briefly and clarify a particular point. There are many within various churches who would say that it seems that young Karl Marx was a committed and thoughtful Christian. And upon further study, you will discover also that Marx's father was Jewish, as was his mother. Heinrich, his father, who followed in a long line of rabbis, converted to Lutheranism in 1816. It appears to have been a political and social conversion, but not a spiritual change of heart. Contemporary laws in Trier at that time barred Jews from higher society. Jews were hated throughout Europe during this time. And you see, as one who embraced Judaism, Heinrich could not have been allowed to be elevated from the position of a civic judge to a crown judge which would bring in, obviously, more money. This was very important to Heinrich, and would later be seen as something extremely important to Karl, his son. Heinrich was a wealthy materialist and politically minded. 
if you were not a Protestant, you couldn't be placed in a certain position. So, not settling for just being a simple Protestant, Heinrich converted to Martin Luther's faith, the prized German theologian from Wartburg. In the accounts that are provided, it is said that Heinrich was not a good Jew prior to his conversion, nor was he a good Lutheran afterwards. Religion was a tool that was used by society, and in this case, it was used to get a promotion. Still, many will say that young Marx had truly asked Jesus to come into his heart. Read what he wrote. His writings would make it appear that this was sincere and profound in his mind. He was truly a convert, a child of the living God. This view is established and fixed in the minds of many within the Protestant churches in America. They may not say that Marx was a Christian. No, because they're unaware of the writings that he provided in his youth. But they are aware of this doctrine. And the doctrine is called, Ask Jesus into your heart. That's a principle of salvation. And it's based on the free will of man. Marx apparently asked Jesus into his heart. And God accepted it. Promising the young man eternal salvation and heaven. And you know God is not a liar and will not ignore his promise. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved is the promise. And God is no liar. Marx, then, was more than a violent madman filled with hate. Perhaps his hatred came from his rebellion towards God. He was actually a misguided child of God. This is incredibly heretical teaching that has been embraced by nearly every Protestant church and seminary in the United States and abroad. God loves everybody. God accepts everybody. All you have to do is ask and you're in. You see, you sit at the center of this doctrine. You make the call, you make the decision, and once that decision is fixed, God then is obligated to open the gates and allow you access. Actually, if you're listening to this, things don't work that way, and we can argue until the cows come home. The ideas behind this is called Pelagianism. In Baptist churches, it's called semi-Pelagianism. I know it's a big word, and it sounds very serious and theological, because it is. This is a serious error that has led many, many to believe a lie, and it leads so many into blinding deception. The ideas of Pelagius were rejected, and Pelagius himself was excommunicated from the church in 417. But his ideas continue to pop up in modern culture. You see, man demands center place. Essentially, he was teaching that due to the free will of man, there is no need for the intervention of the grace of God in salvation. We have the facts. We know the story. We need to make a decision. That's all it comes down to. It has a tremendous appeal throughout evangelicalism today, primarily because it places the power of salvation in the hands of man, not in the electing power of a sovereign God. Nowhere in Scripture is it written, Ask Jesus into your heart, and you will be saved. And that principle is nowhere to be found in any page of the Bible. With this doctrinal understanding, many are led to say upon hearing the early history of Karl Marx, that though he was tortured in thought and evil in intention, he was just a misguided Christian. You see what can happen when you deny God's place if you're his child? He just simply never was taught. He fell away in his youth, and as so many do, when they venture out to university studies, they go berserko. It's a common story that is written time and time and time again as young men and women leave home and find their dorm rooms and classmates and class schedules for the first time. 
this doctrine has done more to mislead so many. It truly is nonsense. And this is the nonsense that is proclaimed from the rostrum of many of our churches. We're in a sad, sad state within the church. The enemy has broken down our gates to the extent that we cannot tell the wheat from the tares, and many sitting among us have no concept of the gospel of Jesus Christ or the new life that he alone can live. But they do have a nice smile, they give a few bucks, they head out to eat Chinese after church, and they drive a nice car. But let me assure you, if you are of an inquiring mind, Karl Marx had a knowledge of the scripture. He was a very intelligent individual. And he also had a tremendous knowledge about history. But that does not mean you, you participated in the events you studied. Study and memorization do not mean that you agree with the subject matter. It means that you know something about it. And Karl Marx was one of the vilest men to walk the face of the earth. He has set his desire on two things, and he stated these in writing. First, to dethrone God. Second, to destroy capitalism. He followed his dream, and he died in ignominy. He was a disgrace to his family, to his lineage, and to his countrymen. His ideas have destroyed people groups throughout the world, causing the death of millions upon millions upon millions worldwide. According to Jordan Peterson, it was Frederick Nietzsche who said Marx had some good ideas, but they would result in the death of millions. If this was actually said, it would be a prophetical utterance, wouldn't it? Marx went on to develop his own theology and to organize his own system of belief. And like Satan himself, he set out to build an assembly of like-minded individuals. Beginning in the 1850s, Karl Marx began to take pen in hand and write. He was published, and his message was disseminated. Today, his religion is reaching across the world. This is Frank Doss with Vintage Broadcasting. We do appreciate your participation in listening to our broadcast. We hope that it benefits you in some way and that you'll continue listening in the days to come.